Welcome to IP Frequently. IP Frequently is brought to you by Dominion Harbor Enterprises and is sponsored by IPedia. IPedia, innovation clarity that provides real, actionable patent intelligence. Join our hosts, David Pridham and Brad Sheaf, advancing the issues of intellectual property. Hey, welcome to IP Frequently. This is Brad. Across from me is... David. And to your right is Matt Del Giorno. None of us are currently wearing pants. Wait a minute. What, are we using last names now? Is that... Are we doing <laughs> oh, that? We have to start over. No, I'm mean, just saying hell. We haven't done yeah, that yet. Well, no, I'm, I'm, not, I'm also not going to use my middle name. But... Uh, Shirley? That's not my middle name. All right. Stop calling me Shirley. Uh, all right. So I think the topic uh, for today, we were batting around a little bit about, you know, sort of how patent trolls come into being, right? So there's this pejorative that the efficient infringer, efficient infringer lobby loves Try to say that 10 times fast. I, huh? I can't even say it two times slow. That that lobby loves to bat around and, and make sure it gets out in the public eye as though there's this mythical creature that, that is, you know, somehow using a perfectly legitimate government granted right uh, to somehow water down the effectiveness of a technology company. I mean, Lord knows Google and Apple with you know, well over $50 billion on the books are close to going under, of course, because of this patent troll problem. But the concept is that there are these entities out there that are acquiring patents and, and then using them in ways that are you know, anti-competitive, run detrimental to the general commerce and technology, but one of the interesting questions is where do these patents come from, right? I mean, no one ever wants to talk about how these mythical patent trolls or probably a, a more legitimate term would be a patent assertion entity, any entity that acquires patents for the purpose of monetizing those assets, right? So a patent assertion entity, where, where do those patents come from? They don't just pop out of holes in the ground and, and wind up in, in a patent assertion entity's hands. They have to come from somewhere. By definition, they're not coming from the patent assertion entity, right? Because otherwise they would be something other, they'd be an inventor, and then we would be categorizing them differently. So by definition, they can't come from the patent assertion entity. So, you know, where do they come from? Well, I mean, obviously they come from, uh, from uh, innovative companies that develop the, the intellectual property that are looking to get some return on their uh, on their um, overall in, in investment. I and mean, we talked about this in one of our past podcasts, the whole concept of, um, you know, these captive companies in the, uh, in the uh, lot network that uh, basically get in a partnership together in a pool of patents. Uh, and then, you know, the whole partnership is premised on eventually one of the partners is going to fuck somebody else and leave, and then they're going to get a spring license. So, um, but the patents obviously come from companies looking for an ROI, and uh, um, you know that's that, that's pretty pretty clear. I mean, the, they come from inventors, right? And the inventors can be anywhere. They can be in universities. They can be in startups. They can be an individual inventor. They can be in Fortune 500 companies. Um, the point is, the, the patents when they're created, it's somebody's idea that they invented something. The patent office said, "Here's a patent," and the fact that it ends up with a patent assertion entity really says nothing about, you know, the quality of the patent, whether it should or shouldn't be asserted. I mean, these are all patents that are sort of created equal in the eyes of, uh, of the patent office, and the eventual owner of the patent should have no bearing on any, you know, stigma that, that gets associated with the patent itself. 
And so, I mean, there's always going to be questions of, of patent quality, right? And, and one of the things that's somehow seems to attach itself again to this mythical patent troll creature is that, by definition, because they own the patents, they're low quality. And in, in fact, obviously, that's just not true. I mean, you can't just paint with a, a brush that, that is that broad. But also, the, the, the quality, it seems like the quality of the patent is dependent entirely upon who owns it, kind of to your point, Matt, which was, you know, Google believes every single patent it owns to be valuable and every single patent that may be asserted against it to somehow be a bad patent. But in point of fact, the, every single patent goes through the same process at the patent office. Right? I mean, there, there are obviously different examiners, and examiners may view the arts differently, but it's not as though there is a patent office for big technology companies and a patent office for smaller companies, and somehow those patents are of you know, varying quality based solely on who applies for them. And not all patents even necessarily come from companies, right? I mean, that's one of sort of the inequities that patent assertion entities hopefully address is that you've got an inventor who may be an individual, maybe from a very small company, perhaps two partners, they're technology focused, they create the next great mousetrap, they go to the large incumbent mousetrap makers who just sort of laugh them off and say, hey, that's a great idea, we'll just take it because we know that you can't afford uh, to come into court with us. And at that point, the entire economy that is supposed to exist around the differences between ideation and commercialization falls apart. Right? Because now the guy that is the idea guy cannot recognize any return on his investment because the commercialization guy is just going to take it. Right? And so I, I, don't, I don't think it's fair to start talking about, well, you know, because a little guy owns it, it's a bad patent. Because a big guy owns it, it's a good patent. And, I, you know, I don't... The, the, the quality of a patent's value is not dependent upon who owns it. I would also say that the idea of good patent versus bad patent, the way, if, if you want to look at it that way at all, it's whether the patent's been asserted or not, regardless of value. Because I can tell you that Qualcomm, who generates the majority of their profits from licensing their patents, nobody loves them when they come knocking on your door and start showing you patents. You know, if you're a patent aggressor, whether you're a company or patent assertion entity or something else if you're on the left side of the v people look at that negatively they look at those as, as bad patents it's it's the use to which the patent's being put that seems to make it a bad patent are you holding it for defensive reasons okay that's okay are you asserting it that's not good are you trying to make license fees god forbid now it's a bad patent well it's ridiculous right because i mean the the, the several things there one is the concept of uh, legitimate patent owners versus presumably illegitimate patent owners, right? The concept of anyone who decides to assert their rights when someone, you know, call it what it is, steals from them is, is suddenly a bad actor in the, in, the, in, the, in the patent world. That's ridiculous. It's absurd. But it's a narrative that's stuck, right? It's a narrative that, um, you know, there's been a very, very concerted effort over the past decade to say that anyone that enforces their um, intellectual property rights of a certain ilk are by definition, bad actors. The whole concept of patent quality is garbage. Um, the folks that tell you um, that the focus should be on patent quality or the gold-plated patent thing that Obama wheeled out that was absurd are really a wolf in sheep's clothing, right? All they're trying to do is get to who owned the patents. And if they had their way, uh, large companies would be the only companies that would be able to, um, to patent. And individual inventors would not be able to patent. 
um, uh, small companies, startups would not be able to patent. And the problem that's inherent with all of this, everything we talk about is um, the stigma of being a small patent owner, the stigma of being a patent owner that has to assert uh, one's rights to protect what you've invented and invested in, what your investors um, uh, paid for um, and what you sweated for. Um, all these different stigmas um, are hurting innovation, right, in this country, and they're creating an environment where large companies don't even have to invent anything anymore. I mean, when's the last time Google invented anything novel? Google goes out, sees what other folks are doing, and they either buy those companies up or they just take the technology. And this is happening over and over and over again. And what it's leading to is a pervasive, um, uh, uh, pervasive. Uh, I'm sorry, I just got a text from. Tom saying if the construction noise gets too loud, mention it in a funny way. Okay. Um, boy, that construction noise is too loud. Huh? <laughs> oh, boy, that construction good. noise. Yeah, good, good one, Tom. Um, but in any event, that, I think that's I think that's hurting the overall innovation. You know, the, the, the so-called innovation economy. And I think until you get rid of these stereotypes, and until you get rid of these these garbage. Um, claims that a patent is a quality patent versus a patent not being a quality patent. A patent owner is a legitimate patent owner and an illegitimate patent owner. I suppose there's an illegitimate patent owner. Right? Someone steals a patent yeah, physically and is running down the street with it. That, yeah, that would but be... But you can tell those guys because they're wearing black masks. Yeah, absolutely. Right, with, a gun, with a gun tucked in that right, bra. Yeah, yeah that's uh, right. I think what people should be complaining about is probably the, the litigation process. When, when, they, when people get sued for patent infringement... Patent litigation is an expensive process. Discovery is expensive. To get to trial is expensive. All these lawyers are, are billing very high rates. And so there is some inefficiency built into the U.S. judicial system, for better or for worse. And so when you get sued, um, I guess the, the easiest way to say is, well, that guy's a bad patent owner or that's a bad patent. But what you're, I think what you're really complaining about is the cost that you're going to have to incur to try to test the merits of that patent. Is this patent valid under 102, 103? Is it past 112? Is it you know, eligible subject matter and so on and so forth? Um, so I think the efforts are probably better directed to making the litigation process more streamlined, yeah, I mean, more cost not, efficient. It's not, it's not whether the patent is good or bad, it's the process is bad, right? And, and you know, we're, we're, we're willing to accept that the market dictates what's good or bad in almost every area other than intellectual property, right? So if I'm a small technology developer and I'm going head up against someone like a Google or an Apple to develop an app, well, the market will decide, right? I mean, if I, if I develop a great app, no one's gonna look at me and say, well, you're a two-man company, I'm not gonna use your app, you're an illegitimate app developer, right? Why, why we're afraid to let the market decide? If the patent's bad, it's bad. No one's gonna pay for it. Right? And so, it's sort of like this podcast, right? Yeah, I mean, no one's going to pay for this. It's bad. I mean, it's right? certainly I mean, legitimate. Right. It's legit. We're legitimate. Whether it's good is another makers. question. Right. It's completely. That's you know, again, an excellent question. But you, you, this is, you know, pointing out that you've got these. Hold on a second. I get another text from Tom. Mention taking on trolls with feats of strength idea, cage match, WWF style, versus expensive court cases. Use gate receipts to pay for for more inventions. Two okay. enter, one exits. Yeah, that's a good one, idea. Two men enter, one man leave. Two trolls yeah. enter, one troll, and then a patent, an efficient. That might be the enter. text of the day, right there, by the Tom. Text of the day. Who's sitting? Who's sitting two yeah. feet to my right? Yeah, certainly the text of the last thirty seconds, at least number of texts that I've got in that period of time. But yeah, I mean, look, we could put up a steel cage. We got 
We've got sheep wearing wolves clothing. I think we want to restrict that to just land mammals, right? I mean, you could have a that could be shark. Offen- you probably don't want to say that could be offensive to some people. Could be. Could be. Sure. Well, we could we go could we go a sheep in dolphins clothing, perhaps, or a shark in dolphins clothing. That's Maybe offensive. that's even better. Offensive. But yeah, I mean, it's, it, it it strikes me that there that no one wants to let the market decide what's a good patent or a bad patent. And I think to Matt's point, it's, it's probably because the only way to currently figure that out is to test the merits of the patent. And the you know what's really fucked up, though, expensive. about the whole thing? Like, the whole thing is the, this whole concept of... Uh, all I hear from people on the, on, the, on the side of the debate that wants to restrict innovation and that wants to restrict who's a legitimate... wants to decide, right, who's a legitimate patent owner versus who an illegitimate patent owner is, is this, the, you know, the whole contrived notion of the, the patent troll. Um, all they talk about is transparency and we need more transparency we want transparency it's like it's total bullshit right because um i'm all for transparency i think the best way to judge what a patent is worth is what someone is paid to license it plain and simple but you go to these um you go to these negotiations and on the one side you have folks who've um who are trying to license a patent and on the other side you have folks who have licensed a ton of patents in the past and won't tell you what they paid for any of them not fucking one of them so, um, thanks for the thumbs up, Tom. Um, so, uh, th- th- I think that's a big problem. And I, I, look, wh- why do these why do these licensing amounts have to be um, confidential? Why do they have to be redlined and black? I'm sorry, blacked out of every agreement. Why does everything have to be um, withheld? You know, and, and, and subject to, to court protective orders. It's it's absolutely ridiculous. If you really want transparency, then tell people what you pay. Uh, for, well, for the licenses you take. People complain all the time that there's not, again, we talk about the judicial system and we complain, well, there's no market for patents. Well, that's ridiculous. There is a market for patents. There's a huge market for patents. People are doing patent deals all the time. There's just no transparency in the market, so the market doesn't function the way a market should function. Yeah, and I, and I mean and I mean this on both sides, right? It's not just when you sure, pay when you yeah, go yeah, license. Yeah, yeah. When, you, when, you, when you're a patent owner, you should tell people what, what was paid for the license if you can, but it's been my experience that the folks that want to keep this confidential are the companies that are taking licenses. And I have no idea why um, you would, on the one hand, um, say, I want transparency, and the other say, keep that highly confidential, don't tell anyone, unless you're a goddamn hypocrite. Uh, I can tell you one place where that really sucks is in the FRAN, fair, reasonable, and non-discriminatory context. So if you've got standards-based patents and you have an obligation to, to license those on FRAN terms, you go knock on somebody's door, you knock on Apple's door, hey, we want to license you, what's your rate? Nope, that's not friend. What have you paid before? No, we can't tell you that. Well, then how do you know I'm not friend, right? You know, that's a conversation that happens over and over and over. And uh, given the number of standards essential patents, we're talking cellular technology, Wi-Fi, Bluetooth, et cetera, et cetera, that is a huge chunk of the patent market uh, in which there's just no transparency. Yeah, I, I, again, I, I think... Everyone would choose to have a market-based system for patent licensing over a exclusively judicially-based system. But in order for that to function, you have to be willing to let market forces play themselves out. You, you know what the you know what the problem would be with the feats of strength thing, though. What the problem would be if you so say you put up your champion, right? Yeah. And, and obviously we'd put up you, right? I mean, we'd put up the colonel because he's fought before. Um, yeah, a couple so of times. we'd put him up. And then, you know, you'd go, say it's Google on the other side, right, oh, with the two skinny guys that yeah. run the thing. Yeah, yeah. And, but, but you... Is he going to wear those little toe shoes here's he the, wears here's, here's the problem. Whip his ass. 
Yeah, I mean, I, I, one, highly unlikely. Okay. Two, he would have the opportunity to have the whole trial by combat thing, right? Yeah. So then he would be able to bring someone else in mm-hmm. to fight you. And we've already, you know, shot our proverbial load, so to speak, right? Because we put up our big guy already. It's not like we put up a little guy and then we... we so we're, we're fucked at this point. Mm-hmm. And then he goes and opts into one of these big MMA guys like Tim Kennedy. Mm-hmm. And then you get knocked out. Mm-hmm. I have to, to call your wife and explain why you have no more teeth. Uh, we've lost the case, right? That's and we're probably on the hook at that point for, you know, whatever expenses come along with it. To and your and, to and your medical bills. I'm not worried about any of that. Oh, I'm worried about it. Have you seen well, we'll Tim Kennedy? Have you? Well, why would we put the I'm not fighting. <laughs> I will give up the case right now. I will give. But have yeah, you I'm seen Tim Kennedy? I have. You know the big. And by the way, our, our producer is going to invite. Tim Kennedy, the MMA star, who also the star of History Channel's Hunting Hitler. Yeah, but we're not worried about Tim Kennedy. You know why? Because Tim Kennedy's not going to fight for Google. Tim Kennedy's an American. He's a patriot. He's looking for a patent monetization market that works. He's Until he guy. finds out some of the things you've said about him when we've watched the Hunting Hitler show. Well, just because I don't want to see him naked like you do. No, I don't think you said that. I think no. you said he, a lot of things about his um, do, do you, style. Don't you think? I'm pretty you confident. Think? I'm pretty yeah. confident I heard okay. that. Yeah, All right. that's right. All right. We'll see. Anyway, do we want to move on to our uh, award-winning uh, feature? Is it the reg of the day, or are we going to do the patent of the day? Uh, well, we've done the oh, hold on a day. sec. Hold on a sec. We've got a, another note from our producer. Who would you want to invite on to debate on this future on the future show? It's, I think he's asking us who. Lamb chop. Lamb chop. Yeah, maybe we'll get a sock puppet next time to produce. Okay. Lamp Chop is great. Sings the song that never ends. The podcast would just be interminable at that point. Yeah. Anyway, do you want to go with the patent of the day or the reg of the day? This is the fun part of it. Well, we've done the reg of the day several times. Maybe we should pick a patent of the day. Okay. Are we just going to do that at random? Maybe you should... If only there were a a place you could go and input seven numbers and you could immediately Mm. uh, see a display with information about that patent, both intrinsic and extrinsic. Some place that would almost... Automate innovation. Sort of the automation of innovation, then? You're talking about the IPedia platform? Well, perhaps I am, my friend. Well, let's perhaps see what IPedia has to say. All let's right. shake that magic eight ball of let's IPedia. Let's find out. Give me seven digits, preferably starting with, I don't know, a six or a seven? Two. Uh, uh, what? Well, you want to pick one? No, but I do have a patent in mind while you type numbers into the machine. So there is a patent on um, parking meters. That sensed when the car pulled away, and if the meter still had money left in it, it would reset to zero so that nobody could free ride when they pulled into the space. Which, me being cheap, I'm personally offended by. Yeah, who's I the free dick ride. that yeah. came up with that? <laughs> Probably some Democratic mayor of a sanctuary city. Probably. All right, so I, 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 I'll put in a seven. Give me another number. Four. Three. Nine. Three. I'll put a two. Nine. Nine. Six. Six. We need one more. Two. If this is that um, parking meter patent, I'm, I'm going to be blown away at this I'm point. Because then IPD is getting out ahead of us, and it's innovating and automating the innovation process of innovating. Obviously, I'm logged out. Well, this is... I'll, I'll tell you what, though, folks. You're getting a um, window into the, um, uh, the world of uh, Dominion Harbor Group right now. So here we go. So this is a patent related to HTTP errors, status 500, 500. internal server error, 
Let's Who owns just, it? Let's just go with this patent right here. Okay, so here's a patent, strangely, that appears to be on truss systems. Truss systems, my friends. People are still innovating in the truss world? In the truss world. It's interesting. Who owns it? Unisystems. Those are good guys. You ever heard of those guys? Yeah. Those are good guys. guys. Well, let, let's. Why, why don't we do something? Why don't we just come up? Rather than flog this dead horse, let me give you a patent number and let's pull this up. This is one that I think is uh, we're all going to agree is uh, um, an important patent. Seven three two seven five zero four. That number again is seven three two seven five zero four. Seven thirty two seventy five zero four. A method of detecting clipped image pixels. Now, who owns that? Well, who, who actually? Why don't we? Why don't we start with who was the original assignee of that? The original assignee, my friend, was Eastman Kodak. Really? Company. So would that now be owned by Monument Peak Ventures? Uh, yes, it would. Interesting. Indeed, it so would. this is yes. one of the iconic Kodak patents that was part of this this major transaction that took place. A couple of weeks ago. So I think that's interesting in and of itself. For those of you at home, um, this is a patent that's very important, uh, that's uh, critical, um, and is pioneering. And I won't say anymore. I'll leave it to you to go look it up on the IPWire website. The uh, version of uh, IPedia is up and, and running, so you all can uh, take a look and, and see what you think. But I, I think in terms of a first patent to launch our um, patent of the week, uh, uh, little 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 uh, part of the show. I think this is this is probably. I couldn't have thought of a better patent. In fact, this may be one of the top five patents of all time. Could be. I would, based on the fact that it was originally with Kodak, and is now with an up and coming young patent monetization firm. Yeah. I think is a good sign. A good sign for the future of that patent. A good sign for the future of patent markets in general. And a good sign for clipping your pixels. Correct. Should so, you need to be. So now should we move on to the final segment, Would You Rather? Oh, yeah. Sure. Yeah, yeah. We should definitely do that. So why don't, why don't, do you want to come up with it or should I come up with it? I'll come up with one and then you come up with the other. Okay. Is that fair? Yeah. Because Matt has not participated in a Would You Rather segment before. Um, but it's basically taking two different scenarios and then everyone gets to pick. And the folks at home can too. You pick which one you'd prefer you'd opt into almost. Um, like, for example, if I said, would you rather have a piece of pie or a piece of cake? Um, yeah, maybe you like cake, maybe you like pie. But you say, I'll have the pie or I'll have the cake. But then it begs the question, what type of pie and what type of cake? And then it gets, it gets complicated. So um, uh, how about this? Would you rather, um, would you rather uh, be uh, a direct report to Michelle Lee at the patent office or... Would you rather be a direct report to Michelle Lee at the patent office or be covered in jam, head to toe, and thrown into a pen of rabid gerbils? Matt? I'm going to go with the rabid gerbils. That's uh, a good choice. That, that has a, an end to it. I think it you, you get in there, you yeah. suck it up for... 10, 15, 20 minutes, whatever the gerbil appetite is, right. whereas the Michelle Lee 
reporting yeah. is just, uh, I think, would be an interminable hell. Plus, <laughs> there's a shot for rabies. And I'm not sure that you can get over working for Michelle. There's no shot for that. No. There's no oral vaccine. There is alcohol, and I presume her direct reports drink heavily, but I, yeah. I don't know that. I mean, eventually in the in the jam scenario, you're gonna you're gonna die a lot sooner than in the scenario where you're Michelle Lee's direct report. So unless you throw yourself off a building or something. Yeah, but in this in this hypothetical, you can't do that. That's you're true. Look, That's she's right. gonna be the director of the patent office for at least a decade, and you're gonna have to be there right with her, <laughs> reporting up to her. Yeah, you go journals all day there. Yeah, I mean, do you think there's any feet rubbing going on over there? Like, hey, come on in here, rub my feet. You know, bunions or something. Yeah, I think well, that's there's normal. bunions. There's foot rubbing. Yeah. yeah. That's a, it's a, I mean, I, that's just, that, it's disturbing that's, on a lot of different levels. Mental, you know what we should do with that? We should clip those pixels out, out of our yeah. collective memories. Well, you know, you could if you had a license to patent number 7327504. Yes, you could, my friend. You could clip all the pixels you wanted. If you had a license to a method of detecting clipped image pixels. Correct. 7327504. And Ipedia. And Ipedia. Good, good. Well, I mean, I think I think we've covered everything we, we could possibly cover here today. And done a fine job of it. Yeah. So yeah. thank you all at home for, for, for listening, for bearing with us uh, for a while. We hope you've learned something. We certainly have. Well, what have we learned today? What do you think? Well, I think we've learned that gerbils are preferable to working for Michelle Lee. That would be That's a, certainly I'm, true. I wrote that down. I want to make sure if I'm put in that situation, I choose wisely. I learned that Matt drives around looking for people pulling away from partially paid parking meters. Correct. Yeah. We learned that. Right. We learned that Tom is well likes to text during likes these to text during the podcast. Podcasts. And uh, and we've learned that if you're someone who wants to clip image pixels, there's a path forward. Seven three two seven five oh four. Good pad. Amen. Good pad. Amen. All right. Thanks folks. This has been IP frequently.